Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. All right, everyone, welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paul LaFavor, and this is the Pinelander Podcast. Today is Friday, 11 March, 2022. Uh, today we have a guest. Uh, his name is Bob Euler, uh, one heck of a mile American. I'm happy to know him. I'm a better man for it. Uh, he's also, a uh, uh, amongst his many uh, achievements, uh, he is currently a deacon at Christ Covenant Baptist Church. Uh, he was a Special Forces uh, 18 Delta, uh, a PA. Uh, the guy's been there, done it, got the T-shirt. Uh, but, uh, Bob, welcome to the Pinelander. Thank you. Yeah. Here. Awesome. Hey, Bob, uh, a lot of people, to include myself, uh, never even knew there was a sixth special forces group and um but you know i, I stumbled upon uh the sixth group uh, in in my you know uh studies um but you were a member of the, of the sixth special forces group which is really kind of fascinating why don't, why don't you tell us about that yes it was uh it was quite an experience we did a lot of training um and uh i i was not an 18 delta uh, that's right. It was before 18, 18. That's right. Before 18 series. That's right. Yeah. 18 series came into existence on the 1st of August, 1983. And I was a Green Beret medic um, from uh, July of 68 until November of 75. And. Um, a little while ago. <laughs> yep. The, uh, the, the, uh, the six special forces group, uh, our area of operations were, uh, the middle East and I was in B company and our area of operation was Iran or Iran. Hmm. And, um, uh, so we did, you know, a lot of the guys on on teams went to uh, language school and learned Farsi. I didn't get to go to language school, but hearing these guys talk, I picked up some here and there. But we did a lot of training. We were ready to go to war and um, and and take it to the enemies of our country. Well, that's kind of, that's amazing. Now, now was was Six Special Forces Group were they in Panama? No, the Six Special Forces Group was at Fort Bragg. Okay. The uh, the Eighth Special Forces Group was located in Panama. Hmm. Okay. Now, and what's fascinating about that is because, um, you know, obviously the Farsi kind of wasn't a language that was continued within the the SF community. 
and would mm. and would become very <laughs> very needed later when we ended up going uh, into Iraq and in Afghanistan um, because yes. of the region. So we ended we were kind of. Uh, we kind of got behind the power curve, I think, as far as our Farsi speakers, uh, at least from yeah. the time when I was in. Uh, it's kind of interesting to know that back when you were in, they had quite a few Farsi speakers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I think half the guys in, in uh, my company were all uh, Farsi speakers. We had uh, 220 in the uh, B company of the 6th Special Forces Group. And I was a, I was a medic, and we were in short supply. And there were times when there was only like one medic per B team. And the way that it was set up back then is we had, um, well, that would be ODAB right. or ODB. Um, we didn't use the uh, operational detachment designation. It was just A team or B team or C team. And uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying you had uh, uh, that's something that I remember when they came out with the four numbers. You and I have talked about this uh, mm-hmm. for ODAs. And when I was in, they had three. And back when you were in, they had, I think, two. Right, and uh, so I think I, I'm hoping I can have five because I'm gonna have to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting how that was. And I mean, um, now something else I remember you said about six group is it was regionally affiliated with uh, with South uh, Southwest Asia, right? So like the Middle East. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah. B Company, our area of operations was Iran. A Company, their area of operations was um, Afghanistan. C Company, their area of operations was uh, around Turkey. And I cannot remember what D Company's area of operations were. Mm. It has been about 50 some odd years. So when, now, when did six? Uh, when were they deactivated? Uh, they were deactivated uh, when the uh, fifth group came back from Vietnam in seventy uh, three. I think it was August of seventy three. Okay. Now, uh, 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 now you you said a lot of you told us a lot of stories. I'm not sure what you can share, but uh, I'm just. You know, itching to get some type of Bob Euler story. For those of you who don't know Bob Euler, uh, one heck of a model American. Uh, the guy loves the Lord and has some awesome stories. I mean, you have so many <laughs> awesome stories. There was some crazy times back then. Though. Yeah. I mean, there was I mean, a lot of, lot of neat things going on. Hey, Bob, can you just share with us one of your stories uh, that you you think you can from Sixth Group? Well, yeah, um... I back in my younger days, I I didn't ever drink or use drugs, but I was kind of a wild child. <laughs> and I had a friend. His name was Tommy Joyner, uh, and he was uh, 
stark raving insane. And we lived in the barracks. It was the old World War II barracks that we lived in. And uh, the uh, the living quarters were all upstairs, and the A-teams were all on the bottom floor. And uh, we had no air conditioning. It was just open windows, and they had ceiling fans on each end of the barracks. One fan was pushing, and the other was pulling. So we always had air circulating through. But uh, one night, my buddy uh, Tommy woke me up. I guess it was around 1 o'clock. And he uh, said, we got we got a mission. I says, well, what is it? He says, well, I'm going to show you. Get dressed. He says, and wear something dark. <laughs> so um, I got dressed, and we went down. He didn't have a vehicle, so we had to drive my vehicle. And um, now this, you know, I, I tried to be a good Christian. Um, that, you know, so what I'm going to explain, um, just kind of shows that sometimes a, a Christian can cross <laughs> the line without being malevolent. Yeah. So what we did is my buddy and I, uh, we climbed a water tower on Fort Bragg that overlooked <laughs> the WAC barracks. Wow. Now, WAC back in those days stood for Women's Army Corps. And uh, they had segregating uh, billeting back then. Uh, and not like they do now where you have males and females in the same building. Um, you guys had, had a little more sense back then. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what we did is he climbed up on top of this water tower to overlook the whack barracks. And my buddy Tommy uh, says, Order, you're going to be my loader and igniter. And I said, What? <laughs> he says, um, I got some cherry bombs and, I, and a slingshot. <laughs> so, uh, so what he did is uh, I would put a cherry bomb uh, in his slingshot. He'd pull it back, and I would ignite it, you know, light the fuse. And then he would shoot it from the top of the um, water tower into a, a, the top floor of the whack barracks through an open door. Wow. And he got about seven cherry bombs. <laughs> Um, into the uh, whack barracks. Uh, it was quite exciting. All these uh, <laughs> scantily clothed <laughs> ladies. Yeah. So the MPs came, and of course, you know, they're looking at, okay, this is overlooking. Well, on top of the water tower, it was concave. And there was about 20, I would say 25, uh, 26 inches of water trapped up on top. 
So what Tommy and I did is we got in the water, we covered ourselves with a space blanket and pulled it down underneath the water. We held ourselves down. They had um, um, like grommets on the top of the, um, the water tower so we could hold on to it. And we had our heads covered with this, actually a whole bodies covered with this space blanket. And uh, we had it with the silver side up. And there was a full moon out. And so these MPs came up and we were underneath the water, breathing the air that was trapped. And they didn't see us. And they said, well, you know, they didn't even go into the water. They just said, well, we don't see anybody. <laughs> and so they went back down. Nice. And then uh, about 3 o'clock, everyone went back to normal. So Tommy and I <laughs> climbed down, went back to the From barracks, went sight. to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, our company commander, his name was Lieutenant Colonel Lancelot W. Kruger, and he was a character. He was uh, he got a direct commission uh, from uh, being a 23-year-old first sergeant in the 187th Airborne Regimental Team in Korea, um, along with a. Uh, he got a direct commission from being a first sergeant to being a captain, mm. uh, along with a distinguished service cross um, because of uh, actions that uh, he, he did in Korea. He was one of two survivors out of his entire company that held off a, uh, a Chai Com uh, battalion. Uh, anyhow, uh, he, he called us all to attention and then, uh, he started saying, it's been reported last night that someone, uh, fired cherry bombs into the whack barracks and they think it might be some green berets. He says, I want to know if any of y'all know anything about that. And he's looking at Tommy and I'm because Tommy had a, a reputation for being uh, basically uh, insane. <laughs> Which just made him a lot of fun to hang out with. Yeah. So we're looking at each other like, and we had our hands up, like, you know, holding like, huh? And so that's just one of the things I did. I thought it was kind of humorous back at the time. Hey. I don't know what people think about it today, but it was, you know, we didn't hurt anyone. We yeah. scared the. the <laughs> hey, Bob. Uh, hey, yeah. Bob, can you, you, I've, I've heard so many, uh, I mean, I can almost tell so many stories myself, uh, but they're good stories. But there's one about your team sergeant you had. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, please tell us about him. Uh, I had a team sergeant, his name was Mikel Mitch. Koviak. Um, Mikel was um, 
he was a warrior. Um, he saw his parents murdered uh, by SS stormtroopers, um, German stormtroopers, uh, in 1939 when they invaded Czechoslovakia. Uh, his parents had sent him out into the field to get some uh, vegetables for supper. And while he's out there, uh, this German uh, mechanized brigade came through and they basically slaughtered everybody in in the town. They just got everyone out and machine gunned them all down. Mm. But he saw the two who murdered his uh, parents and his uh, siblings. Uh, he had two sisters and a brother. Uh, he was um, he was 13 years old at that time. But he tracked down uh, those two uh, German soldiers, and while they were sleeping, he beat their heads in with a, um, a rock, a great big rock. And then he took their weapons and he uh, went through this. You know, all the Germans were sleeping. They figured, well, there's no one out there. Uh, we killed everybody. And uh, he took these guys' weapons and went and he basically killed a whole bunch of uh, German soldiers while they were sleeping. And when they woke up, uh, he ran off into the woods. Mm. Um, it was dark. They didn't follow him because I think they were probably scared. And he knew every inch of where he was going. Uh, he joined the uh, underground for the Czechoslovakian resistance. And he fought against the Germans all of World War II. And when World War II was over, uh, he was 19 years old, and he didn't know anything but fighting. Hmm. So he joined the French Foreign Legion, um, and they put him in. Um, he spoke five languages uh, when I knew him. Uh, Czechoslovakian, of course. He could speak Russian. Um see he also yeah he 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 was something else uh, uh he had a working knowledge of english yeah. and he's <laughs> he spoke with a real thick slavic accent mm. and he used to tell me at least oh i guess once a week he'd say hola you're crazy like mad dog <laughs> Smart like fox, run like gazelle, eyes like eagle, swim like dolphin, jump like kangaroo. Hola, you are a one-man zoo. <laughs> That's awesome. You had, yeah, I mean, you had. A, I mean, he was a very colorful team sergeant. I know you learned yeah. a lot from him. I mean, a true I did. warrior. <laughs> he. He got saved um, in Vietnam, I believe it was in 1965, mm. right before he came, when he, um, he, 
in Vietnam, uh, he was at Dinh Binh Phu when mm -hmm. it fell to the uh, um, to the North Vietnamese, or actually, yeah, to the North Vietnamese, or to the Vietnamese, the the communists, and um, on the death march to uh, Hanoi, mm. uh, he escaped, and he made his way to Saigon jumped a tramp steamer and came to the United States. That was in 1952. Um, and he joined the army. And uh, at that time, um, they were getting ready to form the uh, special forces. He was right. one of the first yeah. 50 enlisted men in the 77th special forces group right that became seven and yeah right and then um and he was sorry bob but he was also yeah uh i believe that was the lodge act that uh whereby they took you know these these guys that were just like rambos okay oh yeah and they're yeah. like hey we need these guys with uh with you know that can just slaughter our foes like that and that's uh, right and that was definitely mitch uh, Mitch Koviak, Mickey L. Yeah. Koviak, absolutely. Well, it, it, it's amazing because that generation was just full of guys. I mean, I'm, you're just telling me the story about this dude. I mean, the what just one of these um, events that this guy lived through yeah. is like you know epic. Yeah, one, just it, one is epic. It, it, yeah. He had like one <laughs> after another, and. and uh, that's really not that uncommon for a lot of guys of that generation that kind of went through that that period of time where there was just so much crazy things going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when they found out that he had been in Vietnam previously, um, he was <laughs> one of the first guys. He was in the first Special Forces group in Okinawa, and he was one of the first guys from there to go to Vietnam on Operation Snakebite. Right, that was, and, uh, a lot of guys don't yeah. know that. First group was the first to go to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he saw a lot of action on A-teams. Hmm. Um, he had never been wounded in combat, and he had nine years' time in combat. Wow. Wow. And uh, when we went to the field, it, uh, he made everything... Um, training for war uh, we had a uh, combat equipment jump on Nijmegen drop zone one night and you know we thought we were all going to be uh, coming back on uh, the cattle cars that they used to have we called them well he said no we we're going to uh, find our own way back to uh camp and mm. so we were uh mm. getting ready to go he says sounds kind of sweaty <laughs> yeah it was uh gosh it was um i think it was in yeah, it was in september mm. and um september it was, brag. oh yeah that's yeah. gonna get you <laughs> still, so it was still plenty hot it was cool at nighttime, and it was kind of hot during the day. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, we were coming 
getting ready to form up, and he says, Ola, I am dead. <laughs> you are now you are now team sergeant. You have to go to these grid coordinates. And it was on the other side of um, Man- Manchester. Yeah. Mm. Hey, uh, and, so... Oh, sorry, Bob. Go ahead. No, I mean, uh, yeah. He said, uh, you can't cross the roads because they're all mined. Mm. So we had to find a <laughs> culvert, go through the culvert, and then wind up the grid coordinates that he had set up. And it was my responsibility to get us there. And so we got there, and then we uh, set up... Uh, our overnight uh, lodging, and the next day, another guy was chosen to be the team sergeant. And it, it was like a every. It took us six days to get back to uh, wow. our uh, our our billets there in the tenth group. We were on Smoke Bomb Hill. Wow. Yeah. In old World War Two barracks, but. It, it was exciting. I mean, uh, he made everything so realistic, and we did uh, quick reaction drills. Um, he, he, he made it fun, but you also learned how to stay alive uh, when you were doing UW, uh, unconventional warfare. And... Uh, I learned so much field craft from him. It was, it, it stuck with me for the rest of my military career. Yeah, that's uh, you know, a good team sergeant is worth the salt. Uh, not only holds the team together, he's yes. a manager of the men, uh, and but then also he's a, it's a coach. He's a mentor. Uh, passes on all of that. Uh, those awesome gems, uh, no doubt that uh, you know mm. made you a better man. Uh, hey, uh, Bob, you had, there's so many stories you have, but there's, there's one I just wanted to make sure you get out there, uh, is the, the story where it's a little further afield, kind of fast forward in your life uh, to yeah. Panama. And I believe it's a time where uh, you were oh, yes. uh, the, you were a PA in the 82nd, and uh, you, then you found yourself uh, on, the in, you know, on the invasion of Panama. I wonder if you yes. could share that with us. Yes, I'm, I'm, um, the Lord allowed me to be one of 11 physician assistants that I know of who ever made a combat jump. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and, <laughs> and that was really exciting. Uh, I was on chalk six. And we jumped in. Uh, I stepped out of the door. I looked at my watch. Just as I was going out the door, um, I was jumper number 41 on the right door of Chalk 6. And I stepped out of the aircraft at 11 minutes after 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, Eastern Standard Time. And while I was in, in the door, I could hear rounds ricocheting off the hull of the aircraft. Mm. The guy who was behind me, when he went into the door, he got shot in the thigh. 
And uh, fortunately, when he landed, he was about three feet away from uh, a medic who checked him out. It was just just a, a flesh wound. He just didn't even go through any muscle, just took out a chunk of his inner upper thigh right next to his scrotum. That's close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get yeah, your attention. He, <laughs> he, he, he's like, he, he was a little worried. Anyhow, that soldier uh, got passed up and went on to get a silver star. Wow. Yeah, and he, he was a warrior. Yeah. Anyhow, um, as I'm coming down, it's, we went out at 500 feet. And I was let out right over a great big pond. And I looked down, I said, we had a, a half moon out. So we had 48% illumination. And I saw that pond. I said, oh, Lord, please don't let me go into that water. So I reached up, grabbed a uh, a left riser slip. And I pulled that thing down as hard as I could and tilted my canopy. And it made me drift. So I just missed mm. going into the water by about five feet. And I went into eight-foot-high savanna grass, and I landed on peat moss. It was, and my rate of descent was about five feet per second, because the air was so thick with humidity. Uh, it took me almost a minute to get down to the ground from 500 feet. So that was exciting. Yeah. And uh, anyhow, I'm coming down i'm still looking around and uh there are green tracers coming up uh from three different directions and uh, americans didn't have any thing to fire green tracers yeah, bob you uh, at uh torrejos yeah torrios okay. to uh torrios to cumin um airfield it was the airfield gotcha. takedown yep and uh, so I, I hit the ground, and my chute's coming straight down on top of me because there's no wind. So I did another left riser slip. I reached up, pulled it down, and just as I did, six green tracers came over my left shoulder. And uh, something, well, someone's got full automatic and just opened up. And there, it came from about. 50 to 60 meters away so I hit the ground and but there was and what I did was I hit a an ant hill or termite hill uh, they were there was nothing there they had abandoned it but it was all covered with savannah grass so I, I'm laying there at like a, a 45 degree angle and I hear walking someone walking in my direction and they're so close I can hear them breathing well, all I've got as a physician assistant is my M9 Beretta pistol <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself self you're kind of outgunned if this guy's got an AK uh, you know I'm thinking well I'm not going to shoot through the brush because if it's a good guy and I hit him I'm not going to feel very good about that because I might kill him yeah because you saw uh, if I remember a bunch of uh, 
Rangers around too. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, anyhow, uh, I decided not to shoot because if I mi- uh, missed him, uh, he's got an AK. I'm kind of outgunned. So I just uh, control my breathing, and I'm praying the whole time, good mm. Lord, please help me. <laughs> yeah. And so this person, I don't know if to this day if it was a good guy or a bad guy, but they walked away from me, and uh, I could see from where uh, I was, I could see the top of the, um, the towers to the airfield. I was supposed to have been landed right in front, and I was two clicks north and one click east of where I was supposed to be. So I get my rucksack on. Oh, I get out of that um, harness, and uh, I, I had my jungle sweater on because when we shoot it up, it was 25 degrees and sleeting on us. And when we jumped in, it was 97 degrees. Wow. And, um, uh, you know, 100% humidity. And this is at like 2.30 in the morning. Mm. And so we went through this huge temperature change. And I took that uh, jungle sweater off because it was kind of warm. So anyhow, I stuck it in my rucksack which weighed about 110 pounds. Um, Because I was carrying a lot of IV fluids. I was expecting uh, a bunch of casualties. You know, we went in, you only carry what you got on your back. Uh, Or, you know, what's hanging underneath your uh, reserve when you make combat equipment jump. So I'm, pushing my way through uh, this savannah grass and then I wind up uh, in this creek I just fell right into it went right up to my armpits and just about six inches below uh, the water level I feel something it felt reptilian slithering <laughs> across my uh, belly wow. so I <laughs> I pointed my pistol down. I says, if it bites me, I'm shooting. But it it just went downstream. So I said, Lord, thank you. Yeah. I'm so glad I didn't get bit. <laughs> so I pushed my way across that little uh, stream. And uh, I hit the other bank and I'd take my rucksack off, throw it up on the bank and climb out. And uh, I look around, and I can uh, see, uh, I guess it was about maybe uh, 100 meters away. I could see what looked like a fence. So I walked toward the fence, and still in the direction of the water tower, I mean, um, the towers to the uh, airport, and I hit this. Um, eight-foot-high chain-link fence that has barbed wire on top. Uh, and it's like in a Y shape, and there was concertina rolling down the length of that top 
of the fence, the entire length of it. Trying to think, oh my land, I'm not going to be able to climb over this. And so I just sat down. I was kind of uh, breathing heavy at that time. So when I did sit down, um, it, it appears that over time, uh, some of that uh, dirt had washed away and there was an eight. 18-inch gap at the bottom of the fence between the, the fence and the dirt. And you couldn't tell it because the grass was growing up around it. But I thought to myself, self, I don't have to walk very far. I can just crawl under. So I took my rucksack, shoved it under, and I got on my back and I'm crawling through and my head gets to where uh, my rucksack is and I hear voices coming in my direction speaking in Spanish. Mm. And I heard some guy say, para aquí. And I knew enough Spanish says, wait here. Mm. And I, I started inching my way. I was trying to be like a ninja. And uh, I had... Uh, that I had not undone my pistol belt and my ammo pouch is caught on the bottom of the fence. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is not good. So I unhooked my pistol belt, got around, and I'm aiming at these. There are three guys wearing boonie hats, all talking Spanish. And uh, I said, well, if they come my direction, I'm going to have to start shooting. But they uh, went away from me, and they went around this little copse of trees, and all of a sudden I heard uh, automatic weapons fire. And these guys had walked into a ranger ambush. Hmm. And I got to thinking to myself, I am not going to go in that direction. <laughs> a lot of ammo there. A lot of belt fed up here involved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I walked uh, uh, along the fence and went north. So I got to the leading edge of the runway. And then I went over to the runway. And as soon as I stepped on it, I heard halt. So I stopped. And they said, hands on your head, drop to your knees. So I did. And these guys were uh, MPs, and they were good. I had no idea anyone was there. Uh, like I said, we had a half moon. Um, at about that time, it was about a hand span off the uh, surface of um, the ground. You just put your... I put my hand uh, where I could see the ground and the moon was sitting right at the top of my thumb. And uh, so we had some, you know, 48% illumination. And uh, I, I, back then I had great eyesight. I had 2015 vision, meaning I could see at 20 feet what a normal person see at 15. And these guys just appeared out of nowhere. And, uh, this MP comes up. He says, "Identify yourself." So I gave him my name and my rank, 
and he says um, what the uh, the challenge was, and my mind went blank. I could not remember the password. Oh. <laughs> and, and I said, I, I'm sorry, but I just can't remember the password. And then we had a running challenge, which was any combination of nine. So he said two, and I said seven. He said, okay, stand up. He says, what's your mission there, chief? I was a chief warrant officer of three at the time. I had just been promoted not long before that. And uh, I said, I'm a physician assistant. He says, you know where your assembly area is? I said, yeah. He says, well, move out and draw fire. I said, okay. So um, I wound up in my assembly area and I was the first one. I, when I jumped in, I was in the uh, 307th Medical Battalion for the 82nd. And that's back before they went to the uh, forward support battalion uh, concept. Um, the uh, the discom uh, battalions like medics and um, engineers all would support. Uh, one company would support a brigade. So, like A company would support first brigade. B company would support. Um, Second Brigade, Delta Company supported Third Brigade. Uh, I can't remember. Charlie Company did something, but it wasn't in support of a brigade. Uh, so I was part of a uh, medical package. We had uh, 21 uh, medical personnel. We had one, two, we had three physicians five PAs and the rest were assorted and listed. Uh, and we set up uh, inside the uh, the uh, the terminal where the rental cars were. That became our uh, a casualty collection point uh, and aid station where we took care of whoever uh, came to us but uh, while I'm sitting there waiting I was the first one in and uh, while I'm sitting there waiting this major came up said identify yourself so I told him who I was he says and what do you do chief I said I'm a physician assistant he says well, we got two wounded guys down about uh, 50 meters to my left and so I got up and I went down and one guy had landed on hard top and had uh, sprained his back. Uh, he was basically okay. He just did a feet and fanny and head PLF. And the other guy, um, he had, he landed, he had one foot in grass and one foot on uh, the hard pack, and he fractured his, um, see, his, his left, his left leg. Uh, he had a what's called a pylon fracture, which is a fracture of the tibia and fibula at boot top level, and his leg was facing out at forty five degrees at that point, uh, which was not a normal. Uh, 
position to be in. So I checked his pulse and uh, he didn't have one uh, below that fracture. So uh, the artery had been crimped when he broke his leg and it went off into that 45 degree angle. So I told him, uh, I said, I'm going to have to straighten your leg out or you're going to lose it, bud. And he was a young PFC uh, in um, the 504. And he said, uh, and I said, it's probably going to hurt a lot. And he says, wait a minute, Chief. So he uh, took out his uh, magazine out of his uh, car four. Uh, thumbed around out, stuck in his teeth, and said, okay, chief, go for it. <laughs> so um, I tell him, lay down and just relax as much as you can. So I straddle his legs, and I'm trying to adjust his uh, foot without hurting him too much till I get to a point where I can feel a pulse. But while I'm doing that, all of a sudden the ground to my right and left starts disintegrating in uh, automatic weapons fire. Mm. I look over my shoulder and there are three Panamanian Defense Force guys who had come out of the passenger terminal and were shooting at us from about 50 feet away. But this young fella on his back, upside down, engages these three uh, he had his uh, weapon set to shoot a burst of three, and he stitched each of these guys upside down. Uh, I mean, what a shot. Uh, I put him in for a silver star, and they downgraded it to a ARCOM with me because no. he was just a private. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. And you, and uh, I mean, where were you at? Where was your mind at at that time when uh, you know the ground is disintegrating around you? Well, I, mean, I was. <laughs> You're busy trying to straighten a leg, aren't you? I, uh, I was thinking the Lord has sent my guardian angel down, mm. and he's doing his kung fu and blocking <laughs> all those bullets. Yeah. Because bullets on my right and on my left. Uh. And nothing's coming in the center. So I'm thinking the, the Lord is preserving me somehow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you had, a lot of, uh, you had a lot of near-death experiences. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of times <laughs> where you thought, hey, I'm not sure if I'm going to get out of this one. Hey, hey, Bob, so there's something else I wanted to make sure everybody hears is just uh, uh, of your uh, – you know, something that we get asked a lot uh, in uh, in the church is uh, a soldier will say something like, you know, how do you live a life that uh, uh, that honors Christ, uh, meet with, close with, and destroy the enemies of our country without violating Christ's command of love your enemies? I just wanted to ask you, because it sounds like that you have been able to do this, uh, engage the enemies of our country, Live a life of distinction, and then live a life of balance where you don't um, desecrate, uh, you know, the duty that you have. Uh, right. So, I mean, could you just elaborate on that? Just, just uh, people give people a clue. 
Okay. It's well, a challenge. Um, I got saved when I was nine years old. And it was at a Salvation Army uh, youth camp. Wow. Uh, and that was in December, I mean, uh, the 9th of June, 1957. It was about a month and a half before I turned 10. And when I came into the Army, I, uh, I basically grew up in the Army. Uh, my dad was a career soldier. And uh, so I, I knew what the Army life was like, and I determined that I was going to live for Christ. Uh, now, I'm not perfect, and I'm going to have to honestly say that there were times that... Um, I wasn't in 100% fellowship with with the Lord, but I never um, um, I, I, I never did drugs. I never drank. Uh, alcohol was not my thing, uh, and I and I made it a, a a promise to the Lord with the help of the Holy Spirit that when I uh, wound up on an A-team, I was going to live a life for Christ. And, uh, you know, I, I used to face some resistance from uh, other team members, from team sergeants. Uh, they wanted me to go to team parties. And I said, if there's alcohol there, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I says it's my personal um, belief that a, a Christian shouldn't drink alcohol and that's primarily because um, uh, my father committed suicide when I was 14 and when they found him he had uh, 12 cans of beer 11 of them were empty and the 12th one was half half full Mm. half empty half full and what he had done is he had taken uh, a vacuum cleaner hose and run it in from the exhaust into the back of our 1961 Ford Falcon station wagon. He just uh, asphyxiated himself. Mm-hmm. And But I uh, determined I wasn't going to uh, v- violate my, my role as a Christian. And if they didn't like it, well, that was their problem yeah uh, and I, I, you know then they they could really try to put the the pressure on you to uh go along to get along yeah and but i determined i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna do it and when i got to the six special forces group um I, it, it somehow it word got out to the group sergeant major that I was a non-drinker. So he made me the designated driver for the entire six special forces group. Mm-hmm. I used to get calls at two and three in the morning to go pick up guys from Caruso's and the clown lounge and the bottoms up and the flaming mug. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I go get these guys. They be knee walking, falling down, gutter crawling, commode hugging drunk. Mm. And uh, I just say, hang your head out the window. If you barf in my car, you're going to clean it up. Mm. And so I was the designated driver until one day uh, there was a need for a medic to go out and cover uh, a halo drop. And I was, happened to be the only medic in the company for available for that at that time. So I got in this ambulance with the driver and we went out to, uh, it was uh, Salerno drop zone. And they did a, uh, a, a halo jump. And so while I'm out there doing my medical duties, guys from uh, the group were calling, trying to have me go pick them up because they couldn't drive. They were drunk. And so two days later, I got called in to see the group sergeant major. And he's chewing me out. And I said, Sergeant Major, I was forced to go do uh, drop zone coverage because there was no medics available. Without a medic on the drop zone, they won't jump. And so he said, well, you got to do some things that are going to interfere with being a designated driver, I guess. And hmm. so that's one of the things that they did, you know. Uh, but it, it was it was so much fun. I loved being a Green Beret. Yeah, it costs you. Uh, they, uh, I mean, I think what I'm hearing, you, I've heard you say this before, is uh, as we know, uh, Martin Luther once said, uh, that is the reformer who wrote the uh, 95 Theses. Uh, to go against conscience is neither right nor safe, and uh, uh, and so uh, you you have a you know, personal conviction uh, that you know uh, obviously the Bible says drink uh, getting drunk is a sin, yeah. and you know right. that, and then also um, you have a, they ask you to go against your convictions, and I right. think uh, so. What I'm hearing is a big part of it is don't go against your conscience, don't go against your mm-hmm. convictions, and don't allow. Right. Uh, the team and your desire to be on the team to waylay that and to, uh, you know, uh, uh, work against your, the morals that you have, that you know, to be right. So that's, that's, I mean, kudos. I mean, that's one way you were able to uh, not sacrifice your career on the altar or your, excuse me, your family on the altar, your career. Uh, right. To, to uh, walk a, a fine line at times. To stay true to your faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, uh, I, I, yeah. Hey, go ahead. I just was going to say that I felt the same pressure, not only in the sixth group, but also yeah. the 10th when I was in uh, Bad Souls, West Germany. Yeah. And when I came back from Germany, uh, I went into the fifth group. Right. Um, because uh, when they came back, they deactivated the sixth. Yeah. So, hey, I, 
in fact, I had that same pressure throughout my entire 25 years as uh, yeah. a, a career soldier. Yeah, and having known your, uh, I've heard, I think, majority of uh, the stories you have, and they're awesome. And I know that you are, uh, you're working on putting these stories into a book, uh, an autobiographical yeah. account. And so I'm excited to be a part of that project. I know Mike is too. Uh, and that, that's your forthcoming book, just for our listeners. Uh, you're going to mm-hmm. want to hear uh, Bob's story. Uh, he's working out, uh, I think, the title. But really, it's essentially that, how to live a, a, a God-honoring life in the Special Forces and in the Army, uh, destroy the enemies of your country, and not violating your conscience, uh, not violating the commands of God. Uh, that's awesome. So, I mean, I applaud uh, your life. Bob, you're a... Uh, your testament uh, of faith to all of, to us all, and uh, we need that uh, in this day and age where we're just jettisoning uh, morals and the moral fabric uh-huh. of our uh, of our culture is just eroding itself around us. We need guys like you, stand up guys that love the Lord, do what's right, hate evil, and uh, take a stand. And so I just thank you for that. Um, well. Uh, I can only do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. I don't have the the strength in in myself to do it. But Amen. the the Holy Spirit has always been there to to uh, make sure that uh, I don't do anything to dishonor Christ. Amen. Well, it's certainly been a uh, pleasure to have you join us in uh, Pineland today uh bob and uh definitely look forward to uh, seeing that book in print i think uh, uh this is a time that people are very interested in and uh, listen hearing uh, what, what uh, old seasoned warriors have to say is always a benefit <laughs> yeah. so anyway thank you for joining us and uh, we'll definitely uh be in touch uh, we hope you enjoyed okay. uh thank you bob uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode of the Pine Lander podcast. Um, and if you enjoyed this, uh, this, this show and our content and our unique perspective, we hope you'll uh, check, a, check out our sponsors. Uh, Blacksmith Publishing has a lot of great titles available in the bookstore at blacksmithpublishing.com. And uh, if you're looking for some really cool Pine Lander merchandise, uh, please head on over to the general store located at pinelander1776.com. They've got great shirts, hats, jackets, and a whole bunch of other uh, cool stuff. Until next time, remember to keep your head on a swivel, stay physically and spiritually strong, morally and mentally straight, socially astute, and be a great team player. Uh, great team player. Evil of Pineland.